First, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season, so please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Semester 5, Episode 7 of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the higher ed landscape. I'm Krista, a former assistant director of admissions at Johns Hopkins University. And joining me today is my friend and fellow Ivy Wise counselor, Judy, who is a former senior associate director of admissions at Georgetown. In this episode, we're going to share insights into some great selective and highly selective institutions. So one great reason to have this conversation is because the admissions landscape has changed so much in the past few years. It's been really a wild ride to see. Judy, what are your thoughts about how things have changed recently? Yeah, so it's interesting, um, you know, things have changed enormously since the pandemic. You know, if you compare the application numbers from the class of 2020, which was really the last class not to be affected um, by the pandemic since they had already applied by the time lockdown hit, um, to recent numbers, uh, it's it's really amazing. Uh, For example, Northeastern University received 64,000 applications in 2020, and this past year, 75,000. Um, Boston call or excuse me, Boston University was up 25% in one year from the class of 2020 to 2021. And Harvard, which a lot of people use as sort of a, a barometer of what's going on in the admissions world, was up 40% from the class of 2020 um, to the very next year. Um, so they had 57,000 applications after in um, 2021, after only only 40,000 uh, the year before. So, you know, of course, a lot of this is due to the fact that many colleges and now most colleges adopted test optional policies. And so I think there are some students who thought, oh, I'll throw my hat in the ring. You know, I didn't have great testing, but I had really good grades. So that really affected the applicant pool. And I think also the uncertainty, you know, what's going to happen? I'm going to apply to a lot of schools. And you know what? I think there's no coming back from that. Like these application pools are not going to drop down to what they were a long time ago. The other thing, Krista, that I think is interesting when you're looking at um, the competitive admissions landscape is, and this is directed to parents, and I'm one of them. I've had three kids go through school in the past few years. My youngest is a sophomore. And um, parents need to reset their perspective. You know, when when a parent applied to college in, for example, 1990, if you applied to Columbia, well, guess what? The admission rate was 30%. This past year, it was like 3%. So I think that some uh, parents will look at colleges that used to be real safeties for them, uh, you know, what we now call likely, um, and think, oh, well, you know, that should be on my son or daughter's safety list too. And that's just not the case. Um, So I really think it's more important than ever to have this really broad list of colleges that you're looking at and to try to stop relying on the rankings that are out there and instead look at colleges and universities that um, are going to be your best fit. And there are so many universities out there. Um, and Krista and I wanted to cover a few of them today. So um, I can talk about a couple, Krista, before I turn it over to you. But, you know, there are some colleges that are kind of grouped. You know, we have the Ivy League schools that everyone talks about. Um, you know, what we'd like to do is 
take a little bit of attention away from these seven or eight schools that get a lot of attention in articles and in rankings. And have you look at uh, a group of colleges, for example, like the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities. There are over 100 of them. Um, there are some that are more well known than others. Howard University, for example, Morehouse, Spelman. And it's interesting to see their popularity has really risen in the past few years. Um, Howard's uh, application pool rose 75% in the past five years, which I thought was really great. And I'm glad those schools are getting more attention. Um, there are also, you know, colleges to consider that are uh, maybe you think like, oh, it's my state school, you know, Arizona State is my state school and everybody gets into Arizona State, which is not really the case. But if you uh, want a really amazing college experience, you could apply to the Honors College at Arizona State, which is called Barrett. And Barrett is really an amazing program that has its own funding, you know, uh, they have housing, they have internships, research opportunities, and that is going to be kind of a, a smaller college within a college. And so I think looking into those um, is really important to do. You don't have to just do it in your own state. Um, you can look at places like uh, Penn State has uh, Schreier College, and that is um that's super competitive to get into. Actually, you know, Penn State probably has an admission rate of about 50%. Uh, and the Honors College has not under 10% probably for the admission rate, but it's really an amazing program. Um, and then UVA. Uh, UVA is just a, an amazing school overall, but their Eccles um, College within UVA is a great opportunity for only about 200 students a year. And the nice thing about UVA is if you apply there as a first-year student, you're going to be automatically considered um, for the Honors College. Um, there are also... Other schools that um, have a, a religious affiliation, my alma mater and where I used to work, Georgetown, is a good example. You know, we, we talk about these schools as sort of alternatives and things to look at beyond, you know, the top most selective, you know, single digit admission rate. But the fact is, most of these are going to be pretty competitive as well. Um, Georgetown's admission rate last year was about 12%. Boston College's was about 16%, I think. And, and Krista, that's one of the ones that parents always think, well, that was easy to get into when I applied. Well, even just a few years ago, probably a quarter of the students uh, got in this year, well under 20%. So um, we really want students to just consider so many different options. And I know that, um, you know, Krista worked at Johns Hopkins, uh, but she also has a really good knowledge base about those small uh, liberal arts colleges. So I'm going to let her talk about them a little bit. Yeah, I think just to add on to your point too, looking at the admissions rates, um, I also just want to pause. I know we've had some other podcasts and webinars about this, so definitely go look there if you have more questions. But in general, we consider anything that is under 20% admission rate, so like Boston College now, um, or and or schools where your statistics fall below the average admitted students, those would be considered reaches on your list. So once again, even if you have perfect grades and a 36 on the ACT, anything with under a 20% admit rate would still be considered a reach. And so when we're talking, using that verbiage, just know in the back of your mind, that's what we're talking about. Um, but the small liberal arts are great. The, those kinds of schools are really great for students who want the smaller school atmosphere. So schools with maybe 
3,000 students or less per se. And those schools tend to take a really broad approach to education. So um, there are colleges out there that are very focused in on certain areas. Um, for instance, like tech colleges sometimes have a little bit more focus on that. Whereas here, you're, you're going to take classes really across the board, um, across all different areas. And so you're getting that breadth in your education. And if that's something you're looking for, if you're looking for something where you have that um, interdisciplinary approach to answering questions, solving problems, then a small liberal arts college might be for you. I also want to point out that a liberal arts college is just that. You have a broad education. You can also have a medium-sized, for instance, liberal arts college, just like my alma mater, Johns Hopkins. But you'll more likely hear the term small liberal arts. And those are referring to schools um, such as Colgate, which is Judy's alma mater, uh, Pomona. Pomona is awesome if you want kind of the combination of small and medium sized. So Pomona is part of something called the five C's where it's essentially five different colleges that share resources, even though they each have their own specific individual college. So that includes Claremont McKenna, Scripps, Harvey Mudd, Hitzer. So you have kind of the benefits of a medium sized school while still getting those much smaller class sizes and the smaller school experience. So, Krista, I just want to add there, uh, the five C's are a perfect example of finding your fit because these colleges are affiliated. You know, they have sports teams that combine students from different schools. But if you look at each one, they all have sort of a hallmark. Um, so you would never apply to all five of those colleges because, you know, one is uh, science and math oriented. That's Harvey Mudd. Pomona is the most like sort of a traditional broad liberal arts education. Um, you know, Pitzer is more oriented toward um, social justice and um, social science um, elements of your education. Education. Scripps is a women's college, so uh, it's a kind of like a perfect little, um, you know, example of how it's great to look around and look at a, ver a variety of schools uh, when you're researching colleges. Definitely, that's a really great point. Similarly, Amherst is part of a consortium, so they also have Mount Holyoke, Hampshire, um, Smith, UMass Amherst, and just like the five C's, they all have very different personalities and even sizes, right? UMass Amherst is bigger than Amherst College. So and they also have good honors uh, college at, at UMass. Yeah. That's another one to bring up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it really depends on what you're looking for, right? You can get the best of both worlds through these different consortiums. Um, you also have Williams not far away either. I think that's about what, like an hour? Am I right, Judy, about an hour? But, yeah, I think that's about right, not even. Yeah. Really. So not too far, you can still get those opportunities and access to the city, you know, city around Amherst. Um, so that's an example of a college where you'll have the smaller class sizes and you'll have that broad approach to education. And another one is Colby. Colby's gotten really popular in the past couple years. And so a lot of students are being drawn, you know, drawn up to Colby as well. But like I mentioned, you don't have to go to a small school to get the liberal arts education if you want something a little bit bigger. So maybe you'll walk around campus and know some faces, but not every single face, then maybe a medium sized school is for you. So I would consider a medium sized school anywhere over 3,000 to about 15,000 students. So um, a lot of institutions that are within or near cities that have a research component also have that liberal arts background. Some examples are Emory, um, my alma mater, JHU, Duke, Vanderbilt, UChicago, 
Northwestern, right? Those are some schools where if you like one, you tend to like some of those other ones as well. Uh, Northeastern has also gotten really popular. And one defining factor of Northeastern is that they have a big co-op program. So they're very um, interested in helping their students get those hands-on experiences. And so if that's something you absolutely want to have built into your curriculum, then that might be a great school for you. Uh, other schools that students tend to like who kind of like that medium-sized broad education research aspect as well are Carnegie Mellon, Case Western, Rice down in Texas, if you want something a little bit warmer. Uh, Rice is absolutely beautiful. So kind of wrapping up what we've talked about so far, it's really about fit at the end of the day. It's not about if one is 13th on the list of you know US News and World Report rankings or 14th, right? It's really about what you want because if you want a small school, that's very different than a large state school, right? What is the classroom experience going to be like? What are your access to opportunities? And that differs school by school. Some schools have more of an undergraduate focused um, to the professors, right? They're very, very much focused on the undergraduates. Some schools, that's not as much of a priority. So is that something that you're looking for? Are you looking to be in or near a city or are you okay being more rural, right? That Those kinds of factors of fit are what you should be looking for and be looking at schools that are similar. It shouldn't be about the ranking or the, I call them sweatshirt schools, right? What sweatshirt do you want to wear? It's not about that or what um, bumper sticker. I've heard that too before. It's really about where you're going to thrive, knowing your own learning style, your needs, your wants, where you're really going to excel because that's what's going to help you after graduation. It's going to be, did you take advantage of great opportunities and have great relationships with those around you that will propel you in the next stage of your life? So before I keep going on a tangent where I, um, you know, keep talking about this further and further, I could talk about that for hours. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that, Judy? Or anything? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I've been a college counselor for a long time. And as I mentioned, I have three of my own children who've gone through the process and all of them have ended up at medium sized, more well, two are more urban, one's a little bit more suburban schools. And, and it's been interesting for me to watch them go through, you know, they're freshmen for one of my sons who went to, you know, one of the schools that we're not really focusing on today. He was in an Ivy League school. He had freshman classes that were 200 people. He had uh, a little bit of a hard time navigating it, to be honest, because he, and it, and it would have been the case probably at any larger school, um, but he had gone to a very small high school. And I think he discovered when he went away that he really learns best in a small class environment where he has access to the teachers and his peers. And so those are the things to think about, you know, um, it, it can be hard to narrow it down. Like what, what do I, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And sometimes it's geographic, you know, um, maybe you want to look at only college on the West Coast, in which case you'd have a variety, like everything from the smallest liberal arts colleges up to uh, huge, really well-regarded uh, large research university at the University of Washington. So literally you can go up and down the coast um, and have schools at every level um, and, and every opportunity. So I think you need to start thinking about, you know, when you visit campuses, um, you know, what is it that you want? And sometimes it, it's good to do uh 
a set of college visits, like in an urban environment where you can see a lot of different schools. And then you can come away with it saying, all right, I really like the environment on that smaller college. It was a lot, you know, it was a lot more of my style instead of, you know, being at a huge university where there's a lot of hustle and bustle. Maybe there isn't a full residential life program, you know, there aren't a lot of dorms. Um, and so I think sometimes those initial college visits can do as much to help you figure out what your fit is and, and what you want to look at. Um, you know, you were talking, um, it's interesting, you know, when you were going through the schools, talking about um, the smaller schools, it made me think of another uh, cohort of colleges that is really amazing and where a lot of students find a great fit. And that's the uh, historically uh, HWCs. We have a lot of acronyms. So the historically women's colleges. Um, so in that Amherst consortium, there is uh, Smith and Mount Holyoke, which are two traditionally women's colleges and really, um, you know, these great educations. And so depending on what your learning style is like, maybe that's where you would thrive most. Um, most people have heard of uh, Wellesley, which is probably, uh, you know, the most selective, I think, of the women's colleges. Um, and we have Bryn Mawr, you know, so there are a lot of schools around the country, uh, Scripps in the five C's, um, where you can have a single sex education, more so, I think, women's colleges, there aren't too many men only colleges left anymore. Um, so I think, you know, you want to think about exactly that. Like, where are you going to thrive? What are you going to, you know, be able to um, make the most of with your college education? So, Kristen, what are your thoughts on, you know, making a commitment to applying early decision or trying to open up your list to a broad array of these schools? That's a great question. I actually just had that conversation with a student last night, so it's in the front of my mind. Um, I mean, I think early decision is a really great opportunity for the students who know that that's the school they want to go to. Mm -hmm. Early decision, you know, you have to commit. You're saying, if I'm admitted to Judy University, I will be going to Judy University. So you want to make sure it's for you, you're ready. And that's both financially, right? You're making that commitment, but as well as you're not going to be able to back out if you're admitted. So you want to make sure you're ready for that commitment. But if you are, there are a lot of advantages to applying early decisions. So there's the advantage of you here earlier and you can celebrate, you can start getting involved in the community. Um, for example, when I worked at Hopkins, we would create a Facebook group. That's probably outdated now, but <laughs> at the time, and who uses Facebook anymore? But Instagram now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's mainly my relatives. That's how we keep in, in contact is Facebook. But anyway, now I don't think that's where what they're doing. But um, at the time we would use Facebook and connect all the newly admitted students. And so you could start to meet your potential classmates, roommates, right? So it was a really great opportunity to get involved almost a year in advance of you going, uh, as well as there are hikes in admissions rates during early decision. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is it's a self-selecting pool. The students who apply early decision tend to be the ones who are more on top of it. They have done their research for a while, their applications are ready, and those also tend to be stronger students, right? Because they're inherently more organized on top of it, right? So sometimes it's a self-selecting pool, not always obviously, but um, sometimes that is the case. And then also the schools from their perspective, they don't have to guess if this student is gonna come. They don't have to worry if I give this opportunity to Judy University, and will this student go to 
Krista University, right? They they know the student is coming. And so we're seeing more and more colleges are focusing on early decision and filling more of their classes through early decision and even starting to introduce if they don't already early decision two. So early decision one tends to be in early November and you hear by mid-December. Early decision two is typically around the same time as regular decision, but you are still making that commitment. So you can apply to one early decision one school, hear your feedback, and if you're not admitted, you can then turn around and apply early decision two somewhere else. So we're seeing a lot more early decision two opportunities pop up at schools. So for instance, a couple years ago, Hopkins, we introduced early decision two. Um, so it is a great opportunity for students who know that that institution is for them. And so Hopkins, we started admitting more of the class through both rounds of early decision. So by the time you get to regular decision, there are fewer spots in the class and a lot more applicants. So it is a more, um, for lack of a better term, competitive round. And it's not because they're looking for a different type of student, not that it's, quote, easier to be admitted. They're still looking for the same quality students, but it's just that there aren't as many students applying during those rounds because of the commitment factor. So that's a very long-winded way of saying early decision yeah. can be a really great opportunity for students who know that that school is for them, whether it's ED1 or ED2, um, if they know that that school is for them and they're ready to make that commitment. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I do think that, you know, whether a school has an early decision program or early action can have an impact on uh, finding your right fit. So I know with my uh, second son, he likes things to be wrapped up and done. So he visited a number of schools and he narrowed them down to only schools that had early decision programs because he wanted to apply and ideally be done in December. So it was really interesting that he used that as a really firm criteria, um, you know, so, and it worked out for him luckily, but, you know, so that could be something you look at. Um, but, you know, it, I was thinking while you were talking about some of the larger public universities, and I mentioned the University of Washington, there used to be a phrase that people use called the public IVs, which is of course not something that I love, but there are some really amazing public universities um, in the country that are, um, the education is amazing. They typically will have um, an undergraduate population that's very well supported by the university with great housing and facilities and research opportunities. Um, and so that is something that you could think about, like, OK, that's another category. So uh, the University of Michigan, for example, I mentioned UVA before. Um, so there are these colleges where you know, it's competitive, certainly, to get in um, and you, you know, but it's maybe 20% admission rate instead of, you know, 5%. Um, but the interesting thing is you have to consider for the public universities, are you in state or out of state? Because sometimes you'll see like, oh, great, you know, Michigan admits 25% of their students. Well, you know, for out of state, that might be more like 15%. So you have to do a little bit of research to try to figure that out. But there are some uh, great programs. So to the extreme of that kind of program is at the University of Texas, where they have a certain number of spaces reserved for the top 6%, I think it is now, of high school students in Texas. So they have very limited spaces. 
for out of state. UVA is probably on the other side of it. They probably have the most spaces available. I think about 30% of their undergraduate population is from outside of Virginia. So, um, so I think that, you know, those are some other great colleges to consider. And the public universities have something uh, that I love, which is typically an amazing school spirit. A lot of times they'll have really strong athletic programs and whether you're into sports or not, it makes for a really nice community uh, vibe. You know, people kind of gather together and support of the teams and you know like there's nothing like going to a football game at the big house in michigan you know in ann arbor so um you can think about those kind of things when you're considering what schools you want to go to so you know there's a, a huge range of opportunities out there and when we work with students we really like to make sure that you're considering all of your options you know i i worked with one student um who came in saying, here are the schools I want to apply to. And funny enough, all the Ivy League schools, but nothing else on the list. And, and we had a really, you know, we worked together for a while and came up with a really solid group of schools that was, a, you know, offered so much more variety and so much more of a clear fit for what his interests were. You know, a couple of the schools that were on his list were like, yeah, I wouldn't go there. You know, that's, I want something that's more urban. Well, then why is Dartmouth on your list? which is up in New Hampshire. So, um, you know, I think that it can be overwhelming to think about what schools you want to apply to. And that's why those lists are handy, those rankings, right? You get them, somebody put them in order, you know, you have that quantitative information ahead in front of you and you can make some decisions. But the fact is they might not all be the right fit, even if they sound similar on paper. Um, so that's why we really try to familiarize ourselves with a lot of different types of schools so we can encourage um, an interest in them so that you'll at least do some research uh, into a variety of places. Yeah, and I think it's helpful to have that list to start off just to get exposure, but then you can start to see what kinds of schools you like, you know, if you're interested in um, I'm trying to think of a good example, like Brown, for instance, which has a very flexible curriculum. You might be interested in a school like Hopkins, where they also have a very flexible curriculum. Right. And so it kind of leads you down the path, but it shouldn't right. be the end all be all. I like to joke with my students where I say, tell me some of the initial schools you like. And sometimes, you know, it's the Ivies, it's the ones that are quote, rated the highest. And I said, okay, you know how advertisements, the more you look at certain things, like I really want this sweatshirt. Okay, they're gonna start showing you different sweatshirts from other companies that are similar, right? It kind of works like an algorithm that way. I joke that that's my job as a counselor, right? You tell me what you like initially and then we'll, that'll lead us down a path. And so once again, that brings us back to fit more so than the rankings. But I do believe the rankings are a fine starting point, especially for maybe sophomores who are just getting started getting exposed to the college process, maybe going to go to a few information sessions if they happen to be in a city visiting relatives, for example, maybe they'll pop over to some of the schools nearby, but then it should be starting to be narrowed down based on what you like. And like you mentioned, you're not gonna like all the Ivies. <laughs> you're not going to, they're just so different, right? Or you shouldn't at least, <laughs> um, they're just so different. And you know, based on location, like you mentioned, based on curriculum, based on their strong suits, right? And so it should really, your list should be based on your fit. And like you said, there might be schools on the list that offer you different things. So maybe an honors college at a state institution where you do get that sports culture, or maybe you also want to apply to some schools where it's a small liberal arts college and you'd be equally happy at both, but they have the same 
things that you're looking for in an institution. And so, yeah. And some students, some students will say to me, well, you know, I go to this small high school, so I want a big college. And, you know, I mean, if you go to a high school where you have a hundred students in your graduating class, 400 people total in the high school, any college would be big in comparison. You know, even the smallest liberal arts colleges are probably close to 2000 students. So, um, you know, think about how, like, what do you want out of college? And it's true, you know, I mean, whether you go to a small high school or a big one, some people want to go away to college and be anonymous. They want to sit in the big classes. They want to focus just on the academics or they want, you know, Greek life, which is more common at the bigger schools. Um, but others, you know, if you really want to engage in the experience, like just try to keep your eyes open to what's out there. Um, one of my nephews went to Colgate, Krista, as well. And it, interestingly, it was not his first choice school. And he didn't get it. I can't remember, honestly, where he uh, wanted to go. But it was a much bigger school in a city. Colgate is not a big school in the city. Finished his freshman year, loved it. Uh, after just his freshman year, a professor asked him to be a TA in an economics class. And, you know, that's not going to happen to you at a bigger school. So for him, it turned out to be the right place. And I was so glad he had a variety of types of schools on his list so that he ended up somewhere where, you know, maybe he didn't think it was going to be perfect, but it ended up being just the right place for him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, to to figure it out, especially if you're early on, but it'll all come together. And, you know, by this time, your senior year, you will have a list of schools and you'll be busy filling out the applications. So uh, sometimes it's hard to imagine a couple of years in advance that you'll ever have that clarity. <laughs> I think that's a great point too, is going in open-minded no matter where you wind up. Um, you know, so maybe that will be your quote dream school from when you were starting to apply, or maybe it'll be a different school than you were thinking, but you could wind up being equally as happy or even happier than you would have been at the other institution, right? Yeah, I, know. I always say to students, you want your list to be, you know, we use those terms, reach and, you know, possible, likely, target, uh, but you want every school that's on that list to be somewhere where you'd like to go. And so even if it's, you know, you got into one school out of the dozen that you applied to, you'd be happy there because it has the characteristics that you want, um, you know? So I think that um, people sometimes mistake the admission rate for the reputation, and that's just not something that, that um, should happen because there are so many opportunities uh, at a variety of places. I agree. You want to go where you'll where you'll thrive because that's where you're going to find the right opportunities, connect with the right people, take advantage of everything. Um, I'm thinking back to when I applied to colleges and one really helpful thing that my mom actually said to me was if you could create your dream school, don't base it on any current college, just create your dream school. What would it be? And so if you're early on in your process and you're listening to this, you know, or you're a junior and you've done some college visits at this point, that might be a helpful exercise. And then from there, look at what institutions would be a good fit rather than doing the opposite, looking at rankings or a list of schools and then trying to maneuver in which schools would be your, your dream school. Maybe do the opposite, start from scratch, say, what would my dream school be? And then see the co colleges that are cl most closely matched to that. It's actually funny because... I wound up at Johns Hopkins and I'm from the Baltimore area and I grew up saying I'm never going to go to school that close to home. I absolutely will not do that. I was looking at the UCs. I was looking 
all over and then I wrote my dream school on a piece of paper and said, this is what I would want. This is, you know, all the characteristics. And my mom said, you're describing Hopkins. <laughs> and so she made me go do a visit, even though I was so adamant. And then I went on campus and fell in love and I'm still there as a grad student now, years later. So, you know, it's very interesting if you try to approach it with a complete fresh clean slate mm -hmm. and then try to find the colleges that match to you because you might be surprised just like I was with what you what you wind up with. Absolutely. You know, and I, I'm also working with a number of students who are interested in business. And for some students, a defined business program is a great thing. Um, but for others, you know, you can go about it different ways, you know, major in economics, you could, you know, do internships, you can prepare yourself in other ways. But, you know, I I, you know, I always use my students as examples, but I worked with one student who really wanted a business program, but also wanted to go to Columbia in New York. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense because Columbia is sort of that, you know, they're famous for their classical education, the core curriculum, such a broad education. But right down the road is NYU, which has its own business program. So that's the school that you should be looking at. And so, you know, sometimes uh, what you're interested in studying can drive you. But in my experience is that most students don't know what they want to do. And most colleges will offer you a huge range, you know, so it gives you the flexibility to be able to um, to find, you know, what's what's best for you and not worry so much about exactly what your major is going to be. You know, that's the beauty of the U.S. college curriculum is that you don't have to define yourself before you go into it. Uh, you can change your mind. You can study different things. Um, and so, you know, I feel pretty strongly that there are just uh, some great opportunities that are not at the top of those rankings that we talked about before. So, you know, I think that just about wraps up this episode. Um, thanks for tuning in to Just Admit It. You can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help when you're navigating complex and competitive, the complex and competitive admissions landscape. And I have to tell you, I actually uh, referred to our knowledge base for something today and learned a couple of new things, even though I've been at Ivy Wise for a while and been a college counselor for a long time. There's some really great things in there. In our next episode, we're going to share advice about how students can prepare for college admissions interviews and auditions, which is really a great thing to work on ahead of time. Uh, you don't want to come up to your deadlines and, and not know what you're going to do. So if you have any questions about the interview or admissions process, you can email them to us at podcast at ivywise.com and we can try to address your questions ahead of time or in the podcast. Um, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, which people do still use, Krista, <laughs> um, Instagram, TikTok uh, for more higher ed resources. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today.